this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. Coming up, we hear from Dr. John Jaquish, a biomechanical engineer who developed a mechanical system for loading bones to prevent and reverse osteoporosis, inspired by his mother's diagnosis. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Sponges are some of our really distant animal relatives. Our last common ancestor lived over 600 million years ago. Sponges have a simple body that's specialized for filter feeding, meaning they trap food particles from water currents that flow through their tissues. They manage to coordinate feeding and reproduction despite lacking a nervous system. Remarkably, many genes known to be important in communication among nerve cells in more complex organisms, such as our cells, are active in the digestive tissue cells in sponges. Now, if genes characteristic of a nervous system are present, this is kind of a smoking gun indicating that there's more to the story. Researchers followed up and recently found some of the cellular structures that are typical of nerve cells in the sponge digestive cells. The sponge cells are called collar cells, named for their rings of beating flagelli that create the water currents that transport suspended food particles through the body of the sponge. In our nerve cells, there are structures in the cell membranes allowing the cells to transmit and receive messages. Our nervous systems rely on this messaging to control voluntary muscles and also involuntary processes such as heartbeat and breathing, as well as thinking and even writing these headlines. Finding these structures in sponge collar cells, as well as other cells that connect the entire sponge body, suggests that internal communication among different tissues appeared early in animal evolution. It makes sense that if your lifestyle relies on coordinating internal water movement with eating, that you would have a system of communication between your disparate parts to regulate their interactions. So even though sponges are not particularly brainy, They are an important early step in the evolution of nervous systems. This research was reported last week in the journal Science. The Denver Museum of Nature and Science has a full calendar of virtual events. On Wednesday, November 17th, Ka Chun Yu, Curator of Space Science, and Bob Reynolds, Research Associate, present digital images from space to illustrate the changing face of our state. From hustling cities and mountain peaks to a vast ancient sea, Colorado has seen dramatic changes in its landscape and climate. You can sign up for this virtual presentation to look back in time to the Cretaceous, explore what we see today, and ponder what changes may be on the horizon. How will recent challenges like access to water and devastating fires affect what Colorado looks like in the future? Visit the museum website at dmns.com for more information. Osteoporosis is a major health risk for older adults. Currently, there are a few pharmaceutical treatments, but all of them have significant side effects and potential risks. 
Dr. John Jaquish was inspired by his mother's diagnosis of osteoporosis to develop a medical device to load bones to improve bone strength without the risk of injury or side effects. He holds numerous patents on this and other biomedical devices. I spoke with him last week about this system. Welcome to the show, John, and thanks for talking today about your OsteoStrong system. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Beth. Yeah, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you finally, um, because I've been using the system for a while now, and I think it's a really intriguing idea and pretty effective. But before we start talking about how it works and osteoporosis in general, we should talk about um, about bone metabolism in general. And this might be a, a, an unusual thought to some of the listeners that bones are actually pretty metabolically active substrate. So do you feel like talking a little bit about that? Yeah. So our, our bones have a metabolic rate, like our bones are made of cells and those cells, uh, the old ones, they die, they fall apart, uh, just sort of dissolve and new ones come from the middle of the bone. And as a bone cell begins its life, it starts in the middle in the trabecular bone, and then it works its way to the outside to the outer cortex. So an older bone cell gets to the outside of the bone and those, those layers, when you get towards the outer cortex become more compact. And most of the structural rigidity of bone is based on how, how much material is in the outer cortex. Now, that's a part of the story, but that's not the whole story because like sometimes a bisphosphonate drug will keep somebody from losing old bone. So they'll have what looks like a healthy outer layer, but they have nothing going on on the inside. So once that layer does shed and eventually it will, then they have no new bone to replace that. So you can sort of artificially make your bone seem like it's more dense with the pharmaceuticals that are out there. But as soon as you cycle off, which you're supposed to after five years, uh, you lose that, that bone mass. And now you're, now you're even worse off. Right. Because so, if, you, uh, if you don't replace exactly. some of the um, softer bone in the interior of the structure, then you don't right. have the elasticity. I remember a really interesting thing from when I was an undergraduate, I worked in a biophysics lab and we measured elasticity of bone, which just blew my mind. I didn't even ever think of bones as being elastic structures, but they can actually deform yeah. about yeah. 5%. And that keeps us from breaking our bones when we do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, bones are in a way like a shock absorber when it comes to impact. And that coincidentally is the only thing that stimulates them to grow. Uh, but it, like when uh, I had an orthopedic surgeon do, do really rapid stop motion photography on me as I did the lower extremity compressive movement with OsteoStrong, and you could see five centimeters of my leg completely disappear. Wow, that's amazing. And then while I was under, I was under uh, 4,000 pounds of compression. I know that sounds like a lot, but a lot of people can do that. Uh, usually that's like athletic male levels right, but right. um thousands of pounds and then after five seconds when you stop the contraction the bone springs right back into position so 
it is in essence like a like a spring right right and i i think of in my simple-minded way i think of bone metabolism as being like these people that we all know that are constantly remodeling their homes which would drive me crazy but you know there's always something yeah, I know people like that. <laughs> yeah some people are yeah. it's like one room gets finished and then they move on to the next one and then you know a few years later they're back to the first room and uh -huh. that's what our bones are doing interestingly enough they're always, always remodeling right they're always and, remodeling. and it's it's only based on the activity um you know, and you have to consider the nutrients you're giving your body. You have to give it the building blocks. You have to have the proper amount of protein. And that's part of the reason why 20 out of 20 different studies all combined in a meta-analysis, uh, which was published in 2018, showed that vegan nutrition rapidly destroys bone. Right, not enough yeah. protein. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not getting the proper amount of protein. And once you realize you need to take in one gram per pound of body weight. Yeah. Obviously, you can't be vegan. Like, like and, and most vegan sources of protein are 9% or less usable by the body. Right, right. Right. So 91% of the protein you take in via vegetable sources becomes nitrogen and goes through you in form of waste because it's the wrong amino acids. Right, right. And interestingly, clinical trials that have been done on some other nutrients that people popularly think of as supporting bone health like calcium and vitamin D are pretty, um, give pretty mixed results in terms that's of- That's right, that's right. Well, I can explain that. It's because the more calcium you take in, the more your body lets go of, of the older calcium that it's been hanging on to. So you start to shed bone faster, but here's the problem. Calcium comes into your system. And if you stimulate the body to build more bone cells within the trabecular bone in the soft, in the middle of the bone, then it's a, then it's a good trade-off. You're basically trading new bone for old bone, but here's the problem people when they stop doing high impact activity and high impact, let me just give people some perspective. The minimum amount of impact is 4.2 multiples of body weight. That's the minimum. You're doing nothing if you're not exceeding 4.2 multiples of body weight. So obviously anyone who's postmenopausal is not loading their body with 4.2 multiples of body weight. Right. Um, in general, as people get older, they quit exercising as much. So right. And then they take calcium, which makes the problem right, even right, worse. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Double right. Calcium is great if you're doing something to build bone and going for a brisk walk around the neighborhood with your dog might be good for your circulation. It might be good for your dog, but it's not doing anything for your bone. Right, right. So right. let's let's talk a little bit about the mechanics. What is it about loading the bone that stimulates it to add new bone mass? So my uh, so I'm I'm the inventor of OsteoStrong, and I'm the chief chief science officer. Nobody at OsteoStrong likes it when I explain it this way, but I really like this explanation. All stimuli that changes the body, like heavy weights when you're weightlifting or, or whatever you're doing to load muscle, uh, or whether it's sunlight to build a suntan or abrasion to build a callus. Like all of these things 
um, they are, there's a certain threshold that they require of stimuli. And so it's sort of like, it's not like everything you touch builds you a callus. You've got to have some serious disruption in subcutaneous layers to stimulate that. Right. And the same thing with the sunlight. You know, it could be Christmas day in the United States and we could stand in the sun all day long and we're not going to get a sunburn. Right. But on the 4th of July in the United States, oh yeah, you can get a sunburn in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. so it's it's stimuli like that's uh that's solely what it's based on the relevant level of stimulus so that the adaptation can happen so and and here's here's what i like saying that nobody likes when i when i say it all stimuli to the body is an irritation Right. When, when right. I when I work out, and anybody's read my book or seen pictures of me online, very muscular guy. Uh, when I when I exercise, it's an irritation. Right. You're and the actually way the body responds breaking, to that irritation. Yeah, you're breaking those muscles, muscles down a little bit. Did say it again. You're breaking those muscles down a little bit. You're damaging the muscles when you work out, and then they respond. Actually, that's a myth. Uh, no, muscles do not get damaged when you, only if you do it wrong. Um, well, that, by the inflammation is what I'm trying to get at is there is that irritation. Oh, yeah, there's inflammation for sure. Yeah. And, and the, inf- yeah, exactly. Inflammation is different than damage. So there's a, there was a theory a long time ago that micro tears in the muscle create mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like the tissue grows back stronger. That's totally wrong. That's an oversimplification and oversimplification is another word for wrong. Um, Good point. But like that, um, when it comes to bone, like it needs to be taken to a point of re- relevant fatigue. And then, and then it needs to be given the time to adapt. So you need to load it with a significant amount of load so that the bone matrix, all those little walls inside the bone become distorted. Mm-hmm. You need like distortion within the bone matrix. So okay. like you were saying, you didn't realize that the bone was flexible. Right. You have to enact this. Otherwise, you'll never change anything. Once that happens, the bones say to themselves something like, oh, okay, we need to be able to tolerate this amount of load. So what we're going to do is remodel. We're going to build more little walls inside of the bone. And we're going to use the minerals that are floating by in our bloodstream to do so. We're going to take these minerals and build structures within the bone, which ends up making the bone more dense and more powerful. Right. Okay. Got it. So yeah. earlier you mentioned postmenopausal women. And one reason that postmenopausal women are more at risk for osteoporosis, which is the, it's bone loss, is mm. that they don't have circulating estrogen and estrogen inhibits right bone loss but there's plenty of older men that get osteoporosis too so this is a really widespread problem in our society one in five men and uh i think it's three in five women right and you fall and break a hip when you're you know 70 75 80 and your life just goes downhill and that's actually a leading cause of death for a lot of people they break a hip and then they just never get back to an active osteoporotic osteoporotic fractures uh, have the same death rate as breast cancer. 
Right, right. People aren't all that aware. Like we have a, we have a, a really a great sort of marketing vehicle behind breast cancer awareness, but there's other things that hurt people just as much or more. And uh, I don't know for for one reason or another. I mean, maybe just because it involves breasts, people pay attention. Yeah, there's been a lot of celebrities that have jumped onto that bandwagon and not so many with osteoporosis. But I think like you're saying, people don't just realize the link between a fracture. Yeah. They think, oh, you'll heal from a fracture, but that's not true. Listen to this statistic. If you get a fracture over the age of 50, a hip fracture, you have a 50% chance of death in one year if you're right. over 50 years old. Yeah, it's horrifying. It's really yeah. horrifying. So that then that leads us into a discussion of your method because um, I was really blown away when I read some of the clinical trials. The data is really remarkable. So why don't you describe the osteostrong system and then we can talk about some of the, the data that support it. Yeah, so when I developed the osteostrong system, the intention was to emulate high impact. So we want the benefit of high impact without the risks of high impact. So for example, gymnasts, when they do a dismount from the uneven bars and they usually flip in the air and then land, um, they can get 10 times their body weight through their lower extremities and their hips. So incredible loading. By the way, nobody can lift a weight that's 10 times their body weight, uh, not even close. So um, when we look at what the body's doing and what needs to be the, the forces that need to be absorbed. It was like, okay, so I, I, I designed this entire system to treat my mother's osteoporosis. Right. Right. So yeah. And, and I, I, uh, I, I looked at the problem from a, a very different perspective. In fact, like, like I, I hadn't finished my PhD yet when I invented it. And my PhD advisor, once he saw what I was doing, he said, if you had done your PhD and then had this idea, you would have talked yourself out of it <laughs> because our education and his, his then comment further was our education system is such that we're told what you can do and what you can't. Right. And we really focus a lot on what you can't do. And uh, this is one of those things where, you would have believed in pharmacology and you would have not believed in physical medicine, which is the category that this falls into because most physical medicine interventions are just not taken seriously. Yeah. And right. Usually because they don't work. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> whereas in, in this case, this works better than any drug that's ever been trialed. And there's no side effects. I mean, I, I suppose the side effect is better posture and increased strength. Right, right. Which shouldn't upset anybody. Yeah, I think that's a big plus of the system is that you don't have those drug-related side effects, which are pretty scary, I think. Yes, they are. So your system basically loads different parts of the skeleton. and Yeah, it emulates high impact. So it puts a body into the four positions you naturally absorb impact, upper extremities, lower extremities, uh, core, and spine. Mm -hmm. Now, how would you protect yourself from a high impact event? And so you get in those positions and your body is capable of so much more 
than it is in a standard fitness environment. And which I, I then continued and, and developed a system uh, for fitness, which really makes weightlifting look pretty stupid. Uh, and, and weightlifting is stupid, by the way. Uh, in fact, I, my, my best-selling book is called Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. Oh, I'll have to look uh, for that. Because I read your book on the, the, the osteogenic loading system. Okay, yeah. Yep, that's called osteogenic loading. Boy, uh, did you get through that whole thing? Yes, I did. And I got to wow. tell you that, you know, I thought that biologists were dense writers, but I have since revised my opinion to think that engineers are even more dense writers than biologists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's um, that, that book. It, it was not written to be exciting. It was written to just document <laughs> what was. It, it, it does a good job of documenting it and there's good figures. Um, but for the people that have never seen this system, to me, it's kind of, it, you feel like you're in an isometric situation when you're on one of these machines you're yeah that's not what it pulling is really you're hard and you're moving. not moving but, you are moving right you just don't really detect that much movement yeah if you watch yourself do it it looks like you're moving mm -hmm. if you ask the person who's doing it did you move they'll say no right right yeah. but here's a question for you i know a lot of when you're on the machines um, you always start by compressing your core. Does that stimulate bones too? It does, it, is that a deformation of some of the skeletal structures when you engage your core? Oh yeah, the ribs. I mean, okay. your your abdominals are attached to your ribs. Right. And right. You, you need distortion in the rib bones to okay. build the bone density. You know? yeah. yeah, okay, okay, good. So then you did um, some clinical trials with, I think it was mostly with women, as I recall. And you found yeah, some really- they, they have a more life-threatening issue. So the right, research right. always biases towards women. Right, right. So what did you find with, and, and it was over a pretty short period of, of six months, as I recall, that you mm. got some positive results. That's right. Yeah. It, it, uh, it doesn't take very long. Um, I prefer when physicians are a little more up to date on analytics because the blood tests for bone turnover, looking at anabolic and catabolic activity are so much more accurate than DEXA scans. A DEXA scan is a picture. Right. And everybody who's taken a picture of themselves knows that some angles you look better than others. Right. You know, some angles you look sleepy, some angles you look fat, some angles you just don't like your smile or whatever. Well, DEXA scans are the same in that almost no two are alike. And because it, you have to manually, the, the x-ray tech has to manually point that, they have to define where the bounding box is on your, on your hip bone. Right. But, <clears throat> you know, if you've lost or gained weight, your hip might sit a little differently sure. between your DEXA scans. So there's nothing you can do. Your reading is going to be different one way, one direction or the other, and you won't know. You'll just get an error. Okay. And it won't tell you it's an error. It'll say you either lost or gained bone density. And the truth is you might not have. Okay. Yeah. So the, the first um, papers that I saw that you had done use DEXA. So are you now using the the blood markers? I'm trying to encourage researchers to, to do both because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. they definitely don't want to not do DEXA. 
Right. <clears throat> but but the see DEXA became the favored measurement because what does DEXA look at? It looks at the outside of the bone, right? It's a picture. Right. right. X-ray. Yeah. But yeah. an X-ray that doesn't go through your bone. So I mean, you're really looking at the outside of the bone. And when you have a category of drugs that protects the outside of the bone only, boy, does that DEXA scan make the those drug patients look good right right so the test made the drug look like it was a success so no wonder it was the favored method sure yeah but now that those patents have expired nobody's really pushing dexa anymore in fact there's a lot of companies that used to make dexa tables that just don't even make them anymore oh interesting okay right and i i understand perfectly why like for Pharma companies aren't pushing DEXA scans anymore because their patents ran out. Right, right. So like now all of a sudden it seems harder to get a DEXA. Yeah, it's harder to get a DEXA because there's no marketing vehicle behind it anymore. And it also was a really crummy test. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, just that's, that's so the blood test is, is way easier. Uh, it, it, it should be less expensive, though certain lab companies will gouge you as lab companies tend uh, to do. Uh-huh. Uh, you got you to make aware when they give you like a $2,000 bill, you're like, yeah, this is supposed to cost about $40. Right, right. Well, that's interesting to know. Well, we are just about out of time, John. Um, I want to thank you for talking and I will put a link to your website and also links um, in our show notes about those blood markers, because I think a lot of people aren't familiar with those, but yeah. I think- it's, it's what you want from a, a one test to the next test to the next test. You want accuracy. Like if you know that the test is inaccurate, why bother with it? Right, especially when it's pricey, like the DEXAs are. Yeah, now insurance will cover either one. Okay, well, no. that's that's been great talking to you, John. Thank you yes. so much. And yeah, all right, Beth. Thanks so much. This was fun. I was speaking with Dr. John Jaquish, developer of the OsteoStrong system for treating osteoporosis. I'll put links in the show notes to his website and publications. That's all for this edition of How on Earth I produce this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and links in the show notes. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.